The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello, welcome to Everybody is Dead Dave, the Red Dwarf review podcast where we're making our way through every episode from the end to the beginning and beyond. Um, If you know know the show, you know what I mean by that. Uh, It sounds the wrong way around, but it's not. We are up to series four. We're cracking through these now. Uh, We're up to the episode Camille. It's as usual, myself, Phil Hawkins, uh, the longtime Red Dwarf fan and... Adam. Yes, hello. Uh, The new Red Dwarf fan who is making his way through the show for the very first time and having a lot of fun doing it. And once again, uh, this series, we're getting a couple of guests on and our guest reviewer today is Council of Geeks. Well, Nathaniel from Council of Geeks. Hello. Hey there. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm there aren't enough hours in in the day. But other than that, (laughs) that, that's not a new problem. So, you know. Now, I knew we had to get you on because the uh, YouTube algorithm, in its all its wisdom, managed to pop up on my feed an old video, which I had watched several years ago when you first made it, and I'd just completely forgotten about. But for some reason, probably because I'm putting these out every week on my on my YouTube channel and it spotted that and go, oh, you like Red Dwarf. It, it brought up an old video of yours about Red Dwarfs. Uh, so what's your history with the show? So um, I found the show um, sort of through a friend. I found the show in middle school. Um, I'm trying to think of the shortest way to explain this because I could get into stupid amounts of detail. So Red Dwarf aired on public television in the U.S., uh, which is also how a lot of um, people in the U.S. first saw classic Doctor Who. Um, So I didn't actually have that in my own house. I actually didn't have television coming into my house at all. My mother absolutely hated it. We had a VHS. We had videos. We rented movies all the time. But she hated actual television. She hated the ads. She hated hated the news. So I never actually had TV. But I had a friend who um, he had taped off of public television a couple of episodes from Series 2, I believe. And I saw those. And then I'm like, okay, well, these are awesome. And then I just went out of my way to to find all the stuff from the show after that. And I've been keeping up as best as I could. Well, and the other reason when I saw this video come up that you'd done that video uh, about Red Dwarf. So I knew you were a Red Dwarf fan. Uh, the other reason I had to get you on was because you, you might notice something slightly familiar about the format of this podcast. It's... <laughs> Aside from the bringing on of guests, it's basically the same format as What the Frell, which I do with Jesse Gender about Farscape, where <laughs> exactly. I'm the one who is rewatching and she's the one who is seeing it for the first time. And I do have to fess up, it was completely inspired by your podcast. I'm a regular <laughs> listener to What the Frell. And so when I I had that in the back of my mind, like I've been listening to What the Frell and then Adam on one of his uh, videos mentioned that he hadn't seen Red Dwarf. Yeah. And I was like, "Ooh, ooh, I could do what 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 Jesse and Council of Geeks are doing with Adam for Red Dwarf. That's ah, oh, that's a great idea." <laughs> so that's how this podcast was born, thanks in part to you. Well, you're welcome. Like honestly, it's a really fun format to do. I mean, it's a great excuse to rewatch something, but also like to get to talk about it immediately after because. 
it's it can be hard for me to get into rewatches just like in a bubble. But like if I can if I can expose somebody new to it, it's it's it reinvigorates the rewatch. I know what you mean. Yeah. You need something that like and for me, what rewatching Farscape was your podcast. I'd been meaning to rewatch Farscape for about four years and just every it just kept on getting pushed down the queue and not getting around to watching it. And then you guys started your podcast and I was like, oh, OK, now I'm going to start rewatching it. So <laughs> sometimes you just need that something to push you to do it, don't you? Yeah, I can yeah. do it. And just <laughs> and we actually also in a couple of weeks time, we will be having Jesse on as well. So uh, we're getting both the what's the throw uh, people as, on the as, podcast. As long as I'm on first. Then, then, like, we... Oh no, what have I done? I, <laughs> I, I, I can board that rift. over her and that's, I'm fine with that. <laughs> so the episode of Red Dwarf that we're talking about today is Camille, the first mm. uh, episode of series four, uh, in which Rimmer and Crichton rescue Camille a female android from a passenger ship that has crash-landed. Crichton falls in love with her, only to learn Camille is not who she appears to be. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we let's just start at the, the very beginning. The, the intro is uh, a new new clips in the intro. We've, mm-hmm. You, Adam, mentioned last time, like last series, that this new intro was, you know, seeing the clips and stuff was was a bit different to the first two series. Yeah, it, it is nice. Uh, it's obviously getting like previews of what's to come, but I must admit, I still have that little affinity for the first two series intros where it's the, the panning shot of the ship and like the slower building version of the theme. The theme we've got now is great and the intro is great, but I don't know, there's there's still something about that, those, that, that first intro that's still that's still maybe it's because it's the first one i've you know seen technically but yeah i don't know i kind of like it do you have a preference here's the funny thing <laughs> with me with this thing because uh probably because it is assumed that americans have no patience uh, when i was able to get a hold of those first two series the versions i could get here in the states had um opening credits and the theme for the first and second series done in the style of series oh. three and on. Oh, that's so interesting. I actually didn't see the slow build pan opening until I bought them on DVD when I think mm. I was in college the first time I started getting those. So I, I didn't, I didn't experience that for a while. So that was actually the one that threw me off. Cause I like had no nostalgia for it. And I'm like, Whoa, this is a, that's a slow open. That's weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you have a yeah. preference of, of eras of the show? I mean, I'm I'm very nostalgic for the first two series, but I mean that's a lot of that has to do with those were the first ones I, I managed to get tapes of, and I I've seen those episodes more than any other. I rewatched them over and over and over and over again. Um, so just it's probably the first two series, but I immediately put the asterisks on. It's not because they're better; it's because I have more nostalgia for them, and and I do recognize the difference. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. it, Adam. In the intro, in this intro thing, is there anything? Because obviously they're clips from the upcoming season. Sure. Was there anything that caught your eye? And you're like, oh, I, uh, I well. For, from what I remember in the clips, I think there was one where there was. I think th- well, it looked like there was three Crichtons or like th- or like a multiple thing going on. There was one with. Well, I think we saw it in this episode. <laughs> Nathaniel Lusso is like, ah, this one. This, Phil has well, to do no, this all I was the laughing. time. I was laughing because you said Crichton's, which is Farscape again. We've got, oh, we've got all this bleed over. 
the crossover. Uh. Uh, so I just, yeah, I mean, I, I like I like all the clip scene. It's just it's tricky because obviously, like when when we do this normally, I might pick up on things that Phil knows is coming later, and he's like, "Oh, you will, you might see that again," but he can't talk about it because it's spoilers. A spoiler, so, yeah, but yeah, it's just just as interesting as the series three one. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what else happens. Uh, yeah. Interesting tidbit I found out about this episode. Uh, it was first broadcast on Valentine's Day, which seems very fitting for the episode. Oh, aw. Yeah. That's cute. <laughs> I was just in the little uh, IMDB trivia section. Oh, yeah. so that means it's definitely 100% true. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm sure it's yeah. uh, absolutely... Slightly more accurate than Wikipedia. Accurate. So. <laughs> I, it's, I've been... It's... It's actually really not. You need oh. no. You need no credentials to add. I can add trivia onto IMDb. I oh. I can't add stuff onto Wikipedia. They they would vet me out of the process. But I can and do put information on IMDb. I put accurate, but mm. it's a low bar. <laughs> I remember every time for well. Wikipedia. Every time, I, like I tried to add something, somebody would edit it out again within like five seconds. <laughs> Oh, God. Just a rat race, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, maybe it was out on Valentine's Day, though. I like to think it is true, though, because that fits quite nicely. It's a nice enough idea. I will choose to accept that as canon. Yeah, <laughs> Let, let's go with that. Yeah. So what did you... What, what, any opening thoughts on the sort of opening bits of it? Well, I, I had... Um... It's been a little while since I watched this, so I'd forgotten that this is the episode that opens with the lying lessons um, between Dave and Crichton. And that was, that's just so much fun with just Crichton so in awe of Lister's ability to hold up a banana and say it's a female aardvark. It's easy. Look, an orange, a melon, a female aardvark. That is just so superb, sir. How do you do that? Especially calling a banana an aardvark. An aardvark isn't even a fruit. <laughs> it's total genius. And then when he when he manages it, like it goes on for quite a while. Actually, that's a good point, Adam. I know you don't like I, how, I was how long some of the gut jokes go on for. I was waiting. Some, some, <laughs> what I was about like, this one? I might not mention it. I was like, I might see if you met, and you mentioned it straight away. <laughs> Um, for anyone who's just joined, joined the podcast and, and for you as well, Nathaniel, it's become a recurring thing where some of the longer jokes, shall we say, I, I don't take as, as well to. And I know that's the stereotype of, oh, you're you're in your you're a young man of the of the current generation. Your attention span is so short. Um, but, I you know, I am watching it. I just think some of the jokes personally go on a bit too long. This one, for me, it got there was a point where I thought, oh, are we crossing it? But I think. The way the actors perform it, and they st- even though it's the same recurring joke, like, you know, what's this? Oh, it's a banana. No, no, you've got to lie. Even though it's the same joke, I feel the two actors differentiate it enough to keep it interesting. So I actually didn't think this one was too long, in all honesty, for that reason. Well, I think part of the thing about this bit is that it does reverse back on itself at some point. So, like, mm. yet the core joke of it doesn't really change. But as a bit, you know, first, Crichton just can't do it um and then um as they go along he manages to do it he's got this so much enthusiasm he's all excited and then suddenly he can't do it again so like it flips back around and and takes it right back at his disappointment where he's just like all excited he's like it's a banana (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> so like it's, it, it has a rhythm that keeps it from, from getting boring, which is the way to counteract something where the punchline is repetitive. If you can vary up the rhythm of the gag, you can still keep it fresh. And it does that yeah. also with when he when he's successful, he doesn't just lie in a simple way like, oh, this is an aardvark. He has, has these really elaborate, like, this is a Czechovacian traffic yes. warden or you know it's, it's these really Something long crazy. things that he, it's almost like that's the only way he can lie is to make it a really elaborate ridiculous lie which also yep. kind of adds to that feeling i quite i quite like that no I, I was i was happy with it yeah so for once phil if you were trying to catch me out there it didn't <laughs> didn't work this time because i i enjoyed a long joke hope long may that continue that's <laughs> time for everything <laughs> there, there was an interesting kind of like moral discussion around it as well that kind of got brought up of like when it's noble to lie that that kind of that was that what he was trying to teach him in a way that it can be good to lie sometimes you know to save someone's feelings or and that's kind of the 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 gist of the episode in a way because that we'll come to it later but that's kind of how the episode ends as well um any any thoughts on that? Because the, the first you said the first two seasons, Nathaniel, were the uh, kind of your favourite. One thing I noticed in this rewatch, which I hadn't quite clocked, even though I'd seen them all before, is that those first two series are very much more kind of have a a, a, a sort of message to the episodes. And then later on, certainly this series three, I noticed, and this one, there's there's sometimes still there, but it's less. It's less about the message and more about the action adventure. There is a lot more um, integrated theme work in the first few series, which is probably largely out of necessity because they didn't have the budget to <laughs> to do anything like they did in series three and on. Um, but like, I'm I'm always kind of attracted to strong theming, and like in general, I always appreciate anything that can do a take on something that has some nuance in it because you know. I'm not I'm not saying absolutely everything is this black and white, but the standard thing is lying is bad. Don't lie. It's like, eh, and I, I will always appreciate anything that can take something that is frequently presented as a black and white thing um, and and allow for there to be some nuance, even in a fairly truncated way like this is, because usually the closest most things get is like they'll you'll have the hero lie, but it's still portrayed as a bad thing and they get found out and there's a you know, misunderstanding, blah, whatever. It's very, very rare for a lie to be shown to have any nobility. So it's nice to see it. Well, acknowledged by Lister that it, um, you know, there are, there's precedent for it and citing examples of it and then allowing the story to then go there itself. Adam, any thoughts? No, just on the similar lines, like you say that that whole, the, the liar revealed, as I think it's called, is such a common, you know, mm-hmm. in, in in anything, whether it's comedy, drama, it's such a common trope because you know it can it can work, but yeah, it's it's just nice to see, like you were saying, Nathaniel, and like you were saying, Phil, about the messaging of it. Just I guess this thing of lying nobly, I guess, or to like to I guess in a way protect someone else, or you know whether that's whether that's the right thing or not, whatever. But yeah, it's just nice to see a different spin on it because I must admit when when that opening joke came in about lying and you think right is this going to be a recurring thing? I I did hope it wasn't going to be a, a liar revealed story sort of thing and it and it wasn't. So yeah, yeah, they it. they really did manage to wrap it throughout <clears throat> the episode quite well. I thought and in fact it even surprised me because at one point I couldn't remember how it ended and. Uh, 
at one point I had in my head, oh, I think this is going this way. And it actually didn't. It went a slightly different way. There were similarities, but it, it did surprise me at the end, which was quite, quite good as well. Especially when you've, you know, it's an episode you've rewatched several times over 20 or 30 years that it, it, to be able to still surprise you is quite good i suppose yeah although i haven't watched this particular episode in probably over a decade stop making me feel old no <laughs> it's all right i frequently do it to <laughs> i frequently do it to fill on this well by show. mentioning be, that how there'll long be a it's reference been. in it well there'll be a reference in an episode to like a, a i guess a a person who was popular or well known at the time and i'll be like Who's this? And Phil would be like, oh, my God. <laughs> See, I would do that, what? too, but only because it's British pop culture that I'm not that's as plugged into. So <laughs> that's true. There's probably a lot of stuff. We can, we can really nail it to fill this stuff. Well, there, actually, there was – I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but is who who's Carl Malden? I don't know. I know the name. He's, mm. um, I'm actually it was gonna... the line, I think, where um, it, they were talking about, I think, the the creature being you know ugly or whatever and it and i think Crichton or someone says oh it could be worse at least you're not carl malden and i was like uh-huh who's like that? the thing is carl carl malden wasn't even a topical reference at the time right like he okay. was already like a super old actor isn't he it was mm. a black and white actor yeah if, that was kind of my his quick google searches to be believed that was kind of his uh, heyday yeah. yeah he was in stuff like Patton and Gypsy oh, and wow. on the waterfront, like it's, oh, wow. it's, it was a really odd pull. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's slightly consistent internally in terms of like if Lister's showing him things like Casablanca and yeah. you know, that era of movies, I guess it tracks. But it's a it's a weird name to pull even at the time. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I was a bit like, mm, okay, who's that? Yes, yeah, so that's yeah. one reference that even even us oldies didn't necessarily get straight away i i didn't <laughs> but i have had to explain several things to you i don't see i don't know which ones of them translated to the u.s anyway but did you have shaken back in the u.s no no see, see that, would... that's the, like i watch enough um british stuff that like i'm used to just accepting like that's a reference i don't get and moving on yeah. like I, i'm not one of those people like i must look up what it means i'm like it went over my head i accepted it went over my head other stuff didn't i'll just enjoy that yeah that's valid that's valid um can i just say the scene in um when Crichton goes to meet rimmer outside starbuck the uh thank goodness they had a bit of a bigger budget because the whole that whole scene looked a lot better than in i think the first episode of series three when they did yeah. a shot like that where you know you get classic cso blue screen fringing in that episode it's like ooh. Like, there it is in Series 3. Whereas now, it looks a lot more... It's a lot cleaner. It might have been a new, like, computer doing it, whatever. Because in Series 3, Episode 1, you had that ejector shot as well, where they just yep. used, like... Was it an action figure or a, a dummy? I think it was, uh, it was against just Against the blue screen. And you just thought... <laughs> me and Phil, when we were both like, ah, yeah, that's, that's a shot. But, you know, it was... Well, I mean, the, <laughs> the thing to also keep in mind is these effects looked better at the time because oh, they sure. weren't broadcast in high definition. They were <laughs> watched on tiny standard definition TVs, which are really forgiving. Like there's yeah. a lot of stuff that I've I've watched later in life, you know, that I already knew on uh, Blu-ray or DVD and gone, oh, God, my memory <laughs> of that effect is way better than that. <laughs> and at least part of that, I mean, part of it's you know nostalgia goggles but at least part of that is also i'm used to seeing 
it on a screen that is blurry enough to forgive a lot of sins. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. The old CRT TVs and every, and, and, oh, and the, just the sheer sm- size of them because they were sm- quite small. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that before. I, you kind of give it a little bit of leeway because the technology wasn't there then for, for filming it and stuff. But also, yeah, it, it, it would have been more forgiving. Yeah, yeah, the the technology wasn't there, but it also didn't need to be because people weren't watching it in the kind of definition that we are now rewatching it in. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, one thing it has been great in, though, Red Dwarf so far, is that all the model work, like all the Starbug stuff is is great. You know, it's it's that high standard of that, I guess, the BBC did so well with their models. Like, you know, we see it in Classic Who and other things of the time. So, yeah, anytime like Starbug's on like flying around it just looks really good although phil tells me later on this is like way down the line we're gonna get into mid 90s cg territory well, and that kind of scares 90s, me early, yeah yeah it, that kind of scares me a bit because <laughs> we all know what that's like so eventually yes i mean again it was a budgetary thing the models look yeah. great but the models are more expensive expensive yeah. um but i do like that every now and then you actually get behind the scenes stories of how the model work actually affected the story. So like one of my favorite episodes is from series three. It's marooned. Mm. And like part yes. of the initial starting premise of that was uh, the writers asking the effects team, what can you guys do really well? And they're like, we can do snow really well. <laughs> and that was part of why that episode even happened. Oh, that's nice. oh wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there go you with go. your strengths. If you've got <laughs> a, a model team that can do some really good stuff, I mean that that's that's the heart of working within a small budget. It's not trying to create something that's more than you can do. It's figure out what do we do well. Let's work around that rather than stretch yeah. this thin. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're on Starbuck, and and they it's Rimmer and Lister. They pick up a distress signal, and in typical Rimmer style, he he doesn't want to. You know the planet's going to explode. He doesn't want to risk his own life. He's quite happy to just to leave them there. But uh, Crichton insists on going and, uh, and and finding who sent the distress distress signal. So um, and he, and he finds Camille. He does, yeah. Um, that was yeah surprising at first because obviously we are seeing a a female version of that android, and I was like, oh, this is this is quirky, kind of cool. It gave me one of my favorite lines of this episode, which is a contender for my funniest, where. They're doing like the little flirty talk, like that awkward androidy flirty talk. And what does he say? I wrote it down. It was like, Crichton says, oh, you know, the way the light captures the angles in your head. I was like, that's just, <laughs> it caught me off guard. And I just that like, because it's such an odd thing to say. But that is, I guess that's one of the prevailing factors about it. Because one thing I'd said to Phil, Nathaniel, before he started this, Phil was like, do you know anything about Red Dwarf? And I was like, well... I've seen some pictures, and is it is it the one with that guy with the the angled head? So I guess maybe that's what it is as well, because that's one of my earliest like associations with this program. So yeah, I don't know. That line just really made me chuckle. One of my favorite uh, lines is also from that same scene, but it's the stuff about the WD forty fragrance. <laughs> yes. Oh, what is that fragrance? It smells divine. WD forty. <laughs> me and Nathaniel have seen it before. We knew what was coming. Yeah. What what did you think at this point? What did you think the plot line was going to be? At this point, I thought, okay, so he's he's going to take Camille back to the ship and it's, it, they're maybe going to have, you know, this little romance thing, but then circumstances will mean that it will end in a tragedy as as much as Red Dwarf will do it with, with a, you know, the flair of comedy. Um, but no, I wasn't expecting what uh, 
what we did get. But I guess it sort of worked out that way. There is still sort of that romance and... It I mean, the same basic a, beats are there. Same basic beats are there, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But I didn't it's expect... Just an added complication yeah. of everyone else seeing them as, <laughs> as exactly. their perfect woman. Exactly, yeah. I'm just, I mean, as as it gets on, I'm, I'm imagining what that must have been like shooting it, you know, like getting it, right, this actor in, <laughs> now this actor in, right, now this actor in. But yeah, no, it was cool. It's, I, I got to tell you, it was really, this was a... <laughs> I'm I'm legitimately curious as to whether this was the random luck of the draw that I landed on this one. Um, it was. Be, well, okay, then that then that's <laughs> yeah. kind of fascinating because like it was this was an interesting one for me to go and rewatch. So, okay, for context, in case listeners don't know this about me, um, I am gender fluid. Um, my personal sense of gender it varies. My pronouns are she they. Um, I'm on low dose hormones, so like. I've gone through in the last decade or so, you know, a sort of a gradual sort of finding uh, the most comfortable place where I am with my gender. And so watching an episode like this where someone's presentation changes based off who they're interacting with and they feel that they cannot safely reveal who they actually are, it hit me on completely different levels than it ever would have watching it when I would have seen it originally. Yeah, I bet. I'm, I'm completely different levels than it would have affected me and Adam, I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, and, and I always I, I always am quick to point this out whenever I do what is effectively a queer reading on, on a show like this. I don't believe that any of the stuff that I have or will probably be pointing out is intentional or deliberate or that anyone else is required to read it that way. It's just my life experiences give me this read uh, on it, which it's, it's especially interesting to go back and watch pieces of entertainment that I had watched previously before coming to a better understanding of myself and sort of seeing them with a whole new set of life experience. And do you, do you think this would take, taking that kind of reading on it, would you say it was a positive one? Well, I mean, especially considering that I don't believe it was meant as one, I said that it's it's an interestingly nuanced one to do this kind of read on um, because it's very much, it, it ha- has a surprising amount to say in terms of presenting yourself in a way that makes other people comfortable, which mm-hmm. anyone who has ever been any degree of closeted has has had to deal with the idea of, well, I don't want to, I want other people to like me and they won't like this about me. How can I present myself in a way that will make me more accepted? Now, this is obviously a sci-fi, ridiculous, fantastical extrapolation of that, but it is kind of a similar core mentality where you, you edit who you are in order to present as either safely or as comfortably or as appealingly to the other person uh, as you can. Sort of separate from that read, though, I also find it very interesting, and I, I don't know if it speaks to um, the writer's views on love in general. I do find it very interesting that each of these guys' ideal mate is very close to themselves, or in the case of the cat, literally themselves. But, like, that's the extreme, but all three of them, it's someone who is very, very much like themselves. Yeah, I suppose that, in a way, that that also speaks to society in general we you know we 
people do have this i don't i don't know how exactly to phrase it but often we feel like we're pressured to, to fit in with the people around us even on a on a just a, a sort of your friends from school type where you might pretend or not pretend probably the wrong word but you you might inf- be more enthusiastic about a sports team than you would have done had those friends not been into them you, you sort of adapt to the environment you find yourself in in order to fit in more yeah with with these friends i'll i'll talk about sports with these friends i'll talk about star wars yeah. and never the twain yeah. shall meet exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly no I, I i exact same i mean growing up in uh south yorkshire which is a uh i think still a typically uh i don't know what you'd say like a very a very I guess, masculine orientated town, if you like, you know, at school that the boys were like boys, boys, for want of a better word. And you had to be seen to be, you know, like really tough, show no emotion. Do you know what I mean? That sort of like school vibe. And I was, well, I was never like that. I was, I was weird. Like, you know, I was extravagant. I was different. I was, and you know, as you do, I think when you're younger, you quit. Well, there's that pressure, like you were saying about oh, I have to not be like, you know, I've got to assimilate my behavior so that these people interact with me, that they engage with me. As And as you get older, you shed that. And, sad, you know, sadly, I think the ones who are truly your friends or respect you are will come along with you. And then it, but it does also weed out those people who aren't like that. And it's, you know, it's never nice being told by someone, you know, I don't like the way you are, no matter what it, no matter what it might be. Um so yeah, no, I yeah that that what you were saying, Nathaniel, about that sense of thinking I can't present myself how I feel the most comfortable for the sake of X, Y, or Z. I absolutely uh, agree with you on that read. I think that's a perfectly valid read. Now it's it's interesting with the characters with what with what you just mentioned about um, sort of being more yourself, sort of finding out who the people who truly accept you are, because within this episode the ones who sort of turn the harshest on camille are the most superficial ones and that's rimmer and the cat the cat just flat out saying heartbreaker and rimmer basically (laughs) disappearing from the story once he no longer has an attraction to this thing Uh, lister fades into the background a little but lister is very understanding about the position camille is in and Crichton is obviously completely accepting so it's it's like it's like a it's like a gradient of who is the most accepting of the truth of camille so camille appears to everyone as their ideal partner um so as a hologram to rimmer who apparently looks like his sister-in-law i think yeah yeah can can, can we talk about how slightly creepy that is (laughs) well he he, it's sort of a recurring thing that he's always envious of his brothers isn't he so i mean kind of ties into that it fits and i'm like Things being vaguely creepy about Rimmer fits anyways, but like that that was a detail I've forgotten. And like, let me be clear, like, I understand there's no blood relation, but like, ideally your brain would go, okay, that's, uh, that's not an option, so don't go there. And his never did that bit of filtering. Yeah. It's no. like, well, it's like you're saying awkward or very weird things with Rimmer is, is quite normal. Because I think, was it in the last episode, Phil, where... He makes a comment about was it what was his uncle called? Was it Uncle Frank? Oh, Frank, Uncle Frank. There's, yes. there's a whole there's a whole joke set up where he's on about 
oh, he would like Uncle Frank was looking for his mum's room, and he ended up in his room in his and like he's talking about I, a camping sure trip, isn't he? When he it's he, a camping the trip. The lead up and is, seems to imply, which is wrong on its own uh, merit, that he he had some hot cousins who he thought <laughs> fancied him. And then he was suddenly found himself being kissed in the middle of the night, woken up being kissed. And it turned out to be Uncle Frank. So <laughs> there are many and, things and, wrong with that. <laughs> well, Uncle Frank thought he'd found Rimmer's mum's yes. tent. So that's, like, yeah, add, add, that... just keep adding layers onto that's, this that's all we'll go with, yeah. The Deprived layers on deprived layers in the <laughs> Rimmer household. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so he's got the hologram. And then mm. Lister has someone that dressed very much like them. Now, interestingly, I read, again, IMDb, so take with a grain of salt, but apparently this was... They'd originally considered making Rimmer's uh, person that he saw, Kachansky, and then decided that that, that it would mean that Rimmer would clock on what was going on too quickly, because why would Kachansky Mm. be there? Uh, Even though that is his ideal woman in his head. So instead, they kind of went for uh, sort of similar to the sort of parallel universe version of him. I, I was going to say, it's almost Mark II of of female Lister. <clears throat> yeah, it's almost Debbie yeah. Lister again, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, with... my my favorite bit of that whole interaction is when, you know, that he's he's in, he's insinuating that they've got to repopulate and there's all that banter back and forth. And then it's when he says, oh, now, let, what was it? Let me go and get me Spider-Man costume. I don't yes. know why, again, that just really tickled me because the, the thought of Craig Charles in a Spider-Man outfit <laughs> trying to be, like, very flirtatious. That's what he was, rocks I up mean, to the bedroom hey, in. Hey, I mean, I'm sure he could do it. I'm not trying to cast out, but the I don't know. The image just really made me laugh. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, I, that whole scene, I was starting to <clears> like, because when it started, I was like, oh, okay, is it, is it going there? He's, he's imitating being a doctor. But actually, it was quite, they played it quite well, I think. And it was quite obvious quite away that he, straight away, that he wasn't like, trying to actually seriously make out that he was doctor like she knew straight away he knew yeah. she knew it so yeah, it didn't yeah. feel like it was pushing against a, a horrible boundary or anything because both people knew what was going on it, it, it's the easy way to um to sort of get around those situations is to have the other person like know immediately like this came up um what i i guy a couple years ago and i had a conversation about the original ghostbusters which is my favorite movie of all time and like vankman which is um bill murray's character is a skis and like that is established early on but part of why his relationship with dana works is she doesn't fall for like any of his nonsense right from the get-go she sees right through all of his crap i'm like okay i don't feel like she's in danger from him because she knows she has she has him completely pegged and I kind of get that similar vibe here. The uh, interestingly, the people that uh, play these characters, the one playing the original Android Camille is played by Robert Llewellyn's then girlfriend, now wife, and mm-hmm. the one playing Lister's, uh, the the one Lister sees, was his at the time girlfriend. Wow. Um... That explains why the I don't know, woman. I don't who, know why they didn't get Chris Barry's then girlfriend. Maybe he didn't have one at the time, or maybe, maybe she wasn't he, an actor. Uh, there's that possibility. Yeah, there's that too, <laughs> as well. Yeah, 
Maybe, yeah. Yeah, how dare these actors not date other actors? What's going on there? Seriously, how how are we supposed to come up with cute shipping no. names? Um, <laughs> I, I I did know that, and like that's honestly, it's it's an easy way to get uh, to get instant chemistry um, between two if if you can get it. One of the things I find interesting from a narrative perspective about this scene where Lister encounters Camille is Rimmer comes in. And starts talking to her. And then a couple of things happen in rapid succession. One of which I just think is a neat twist. And then another thing that narratively I just appreciate. The sort of neat twist is that we find out not only does Camille look different. They hear different things when she speaks. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, Rimmer is going on. I'm going to show her my collection of pictures of telegraph poles. And Lister's like, you like telegraph poles? And she's like, no, they're terrible. And Rimmer just hears affirmations. So Camille's whole deal like goes beyond just the visuals, which I thought was interesting. But what I mainly appreciated narratively is that we're about at the halfway mark of the episode and Lister figures out what's going on. That this isn't dragged out as a comedy of errors and there's misunderstandings. Because like, that's the kind of thing I would have gotten bored with very quickly. I, I have I have a low tolerance for um, comedy of misunderstandings. So I appreciated that uh, one of the characters figured out what was going on at pretty much the earliest point that somebody reasonably could have figured out what was going on. So no one's being made to look stupid. And it's like, no, let's actually go into a more interesting place now that the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. Yeah. Talking of the cats, <laughs> nice segue. Uh, <laughs> Very good. <laughs> he, uh, the cat finds out about Camille from Lister after Lister already knows what's going on. So he's he's got the lowdown. He knows it's going to be the object of his desire and is very keen to find out what that is. And then, as we mentioned earlier, it's him. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he is the object of his own desire. Is there anyone more deserving? Yeah. Well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I uh, just I love the way he comes out after, you know, and uh, Lister's is trying to find out what happened to what he saw. And uh, he, and he's just making all this like, yeah, I can't remember what, what the exact lines are now, but they. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because when he says, oh, I'm going in, I was like, oh, I wonder what he's going to what he's going to see. And then as soon as you realize it's cat, I was like, it's that thing of you go, who else could it have been? Like, honestly, who it's else not was what it you would be? think of. <laughs> so, but what you see is like, it could never have been anything else. Yeah. <laughs> and even so it's like, Oh, it's our vanity. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> that's it's like, that is oh, the beauty of cat. That's I one suppose. of my favorite shots in the whole show is, yeah. is cat high-fiving himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually it didn't look too bad as well for, you know, bit of split screen you know they they obviously framed it very well it it looked good uh so the the caddies out (laughs) of the bag as we've said everyone finds out about it and uh and the true visage of camille is revealed and it's a huge green blob yeah and i wrote in my notes and i know this was probably intentional on the production team but i put wow that's a bbc monster if i ever saw one <laughs> like in in the nicest possible again it was probably intentional but it reminded me and i'm sorry for any listeners cuz this this might be quite a deep cut you know in the doctor who story delta and the bannermen um in the ticket bit with ken dodd i swear there's a bit where someone a human looking person is going through a booth and then it triggers something and he reverts to his alien form 
and it basically looked like it's not the same prop, but it basically looks like that. So it was, like it, it made me smile. I, I liked how adorable, adorably blobby it was. Yeah, I it's it, yeah. it's not <laughs> well, like sometimes the show tries to get you know ambitious like the 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 polymorph was was an ambitious attempt at a mm. creature like this is not like this is ridiculous and we know it is <laughs> and we don't care because for the purposes of the rest of this episode it being ridiculous probably works better <laughs> and it does absolutely like the whole montage we get of like it and Crichton oh, just doing their God, romantic see that things thing, like disco dance throughout all that <laughs> see this is the point where i thought this is where i guessed what was going to happen and it didn't it went in a different direction because i thought when Crichton was you know made his thing at that point when when it gets revealed and he goes oh i i still think i think you're cute and asked out on a date um that was where i was thinking oh this is him lying for noble reasons he's 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 found out something like because I couldn't remember how it ended. So I thought, oh, has he found out something like that's going to mean she has to go away. And therefore he's going to make or she's dying or something like that. And it's going to make those that week the best week of her life, even though he doesn't really think that. So that's what and I was completely wrong. But that's where um, in my head I thought it was going with the themes of the episode at that point. And and. Like mm. and, and that would have made sense. Uh, can I say like, how happy I am that they didn't do that? Because like, there's just there's just a with that whole idea. There's and I'm not I'm like I'm not judging you for thinking that was where they were going. But for like that whole idea, there's just this real skeeviness of just toying with someone's emotions, quote unquote, for their own good. Whereas, yes, he does lie for her emotions, but it's it is not a lie that's he is going to have to maintain over a long period messing with her the entire road um and like there was part of me that actually wondered like does knowing the lying lessons like does it bring doubt on that montage on that affection and i think by the end it's very clear that no no he was actually feeling that affection for her and that's why what he did at the end and saying you should go why that was the lie and that gets underlined very firmly i'm like okay that's the way to balance this so it's clear he's not just messing with her yeah and i'm so glad they didn't go that route i think i've just been sort of trained by other media (laughs) to think that that's the obvious storyline that they would go down and i'm really glad that they didn't because it's so much it's just a really nice sweet story for the two of them at the end there with the montage and everything it's it's lovely and then you know it is i i do farewell. feel that the ending like the after the montage the ending does feel very rushed to me because basically once it gets into the casablanca homage it, it it go it shifts into that really suddenly and just, <laughs> i think they just kind of figured well since everyone's going to recognize it as an homage we'll get away with it um like, as far as the, what the story is, it works. But, like, it's really quick. Because, like, out of nowhere, we just hear someone's here to see Camille. And suddenly, Crichton's turning to her and go, you have a husband? I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so, like, it just it just rushes 
those last three. It it rushes basically the last twenty minutes of Casablanca into its last two minutes of runtime, and you kind of you kind of feel the breakneck uh, pace of that a little bit. Yeah, it did also that. That's reminded me that it made me slightly go hold on why that's a bit of a jump to a conclusion there that husband thing because he's like somebody's here to see her you've got a husband <laughs> so, it is but but you you made that leap but they very don't quickly. have time for him not to make the leap because they've only got so many minutes left in the True. episode and like that that's the thing i understand they couldn't make the episode longer but yeah it's it's it, it is a sprint to the finish we've yeah. said we've said that quite a lot we've noticed watching this show from the beginning and back to back that they do that a lot they will get through most of the plot and then suddenly it'll all wrap up really quickly in the last couple of like sometimes even the last like two minutes like it it won't feel like it's coming to the third act yet and yet suddenly everything's suddenly wrapped up in like the space of a few minutes i mean there there are sometimes yeah. that um like thinking back to one of my favorite episodes which is the one where um lister takes the chef's exam that one almost feels like a non-ending because it like ends in a freeze frame on the conclusion of him saying he passed the test. And then the next episode opens with actually he failed and there will be no consequences to this whatsoever. It yes, the show right from the beginning did endings of episodes weird sometimes. Yeah. The continuity of these shows just... <laughs> Phil, I mean, Phil did warn me early on. He was like, you've got to understand, like, some things will just never be continued. You'll never hear about it again. And then some things that you think, oh, maybe they won't touch on that, get, like, random what, like references, like, seasons down the line. You know, it's... Well, it's I mean, like, it... That's one of the things that I really admire about the opening to Series 3 is the sped up crawl mm. that explains why the continuity is all screwed up, but they zip it by so fast that you can't possibly read it. Basically hammering home the, f- yeah. hammering home the fact, <laughs> stop caring about the continuity. Cause we don't. Yeah. Yeah. And that <laughs> apparently everything in that crawl was meant to be an episode and they started writing it and then they just realized it wasn't very funny as an episode. So they just was like, ah, yeah, if the only reason you're doing it is to maintain continuity and you wouldn't do it otherwise, you know what? I'm glad they, they went with what they did. Uh, the only other thing I had in my notes is just, I just put Casablanca parody at the end, which we've already mentioned. Uh, I know, yeah. nice little reference back. It had been mentioned throughout the episode. I quite, you know, yeah. nice to bring that the only back. Other, the only other thing I had, and this, this is such a small thing and people go, oh my God, why are you focusing on this? But in the end credits, I do not, I cannot stand the new font they're using for the credits. I, I, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's so very gaudy early 90s, which I know which is when this first came out, but it feels like more chat show credits rather than red, which is odd though, because at the start of the episode, they use the red, well, I say the red dwarf font, the the font they had, you know, saying written by the two creators. It was the same font. And then in this one, it's all like, you know, purple, bright purple lines and chat show style. I don't know. I know it's a really minor thing, but the credits came up and I was like, whoa, like, what is this? I mean, look, like... if you want to be nitpicky, and I'm pretty sure they do it throughout this series. I can't remember if they did it in series three, too. I hate the way they do the titles of the episodes in these big block red letters scrolling oh, horizontally yeah. across in front of the actors' yeah. faces. I <laughs> yeah. hate that. I mean, it's over so quick. I think for series three. It's over so quick you never remember. I literally forgot until you mentioned that, and it made me think of this other thing. But, like, in the two seconds it takes to happen, I hate it. 
Yeah. Series three, I don't think they scrolled. I think the same text came up, same red blocky text, but I think it was static in series three. And in this this series, yeah. they've started having it oh. across the screen. But I know what you mean, though. But yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just because they're still using the same backdrop for the credits as well, like the panning shot over the top of the ship. And it just it just doesn't. Well, to my eyes, anyway, it doesn't it just doesn't look aesthetically pleasing. It looks very mismatched. But, I, you know, that's I'm just going to have to get over that because it's, it's going to be the rest. It's going to be for the rest of series four, at least. So maybe more. Just, so. just wait, Adam, until we get onto the season with the opening credits with the bars at the top and the bottom. The, oh. <laughs> there's yeah oh, that's no. that's generally uh not liked oh, i boy. believe um <laughs> anyway uh yeah any any other points that anybody um, wanted to raise I, I hit all the main stuff that i wanted to. i mean like like i said coming back realizing this was the episode we were going to do i was kind i was kind of nervous like knowing that i have a new life experience and a new perspective to to bring to this one that was going to be applicable to what it was doing and i always get nervous Knowing that going into things like, oh, God, is is the perspective I now have going to ruin this? And it didn't, which was is always a massive relief. But I also think usually speaks to really well-constructed writing that it can hold up to the scrutiny of of a completely different perspective that I have now 10 or however many years it's been since I watched it last. Well, I'm certainly glad that, you know, it just by the luck of the draw, we did get you for this episode then, because it's really good to have that have a perspective on it. And it, it was just random luck of the draw. Like, what dates are you available? Oh, we're up to that episode on there that day. <laughs> there we go. There uh, we go. So what about favorite characters in the episode? We usually pick one character each that, you know, has been our favorite for that episode. It can it can be that they were the funniest, but it can be for other reasons as well. It can just be that they had a single line you really liked or, you know, you really connected with their story or any particular reason. But do you have a favorite character? Out of um, I think overall, this is this is a really good showcase for Crichton, who, if I'm going to be completely honest, is probably my normally my least favorite out of the core four. Um, not that I dislike him, but I like him the least often uh, out of the four of them. Hmm. But this uh, this is an episode that does a really good job of utilizing him well, of having his usual quirks, but having them feed into the story instead of interrupt the story with with his sort of stuff. And I like just having the whole arc be this this him learning to lie and him also you know experiencing these emotions. I think it was it was surprisingly well done, and there are moments that he gets quite tender um, towards Camille or even talking after the fact with with Lister that I really appreciated. And also, I just kind of love the face that he makes when he tries to go, you smee. <laughs> what about you, Adam? I, I mean, uh, he, I, it, I can't speak today. Mine's the same as well, Crichton, because um, it, 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 it's funny because the last episode we watched, which was the conclusion of Series 3, was also a very... Uh, I guess Crichton focused episode you know that it was the I can't remember the title Phil but it's the one where Crichton there's a replacement android on the way and uh, it's like Crichton's last night so to speak oh it's it's called the last last, day I think last day or last night yeah Um, and that was very Crichton focused and like you said they knew how to use the character and Robert Llewellyn did it fantastically and he just does it he he does pretty much the same in this one but to to a different angle it's it's i find this with characters who are meant to be like robots or like devoid of i guess like real emotions for example but then they can make you feel 
<laughs> emotions yourself. Like the one I always parallel as one of my favorite films, which is Terminator 2. Um, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is playing a emotionless robot. Yet, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the thumbs up. Yet he has some of the most emotional scenes in the whole movie. And it's like, how is this emotionless robot making me feel? So, and it was kind of same, you know, towards the end when he says goodbye to the to the to the um to the blob or uh, it just or the pleasure gelf i should say um yeah it just obviously before the casablanca references came in but yeah no he just robert llewellyn sells it because i think as an actor you know what's your brief it's a robot who doesn't really have that much emotion and has like this 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 it's really hard to play that i think sometimes but he's he's constantly finding new facets of it that i really enjoy so yeah I'm one of the in general well. one of the elements of Crichton that i actually appreciate as far as depictions of robots go um because if, if you haven't seen the video there's a really excellent um discussion about the tropes of robots on uh on a series called trope talks on overly sarcastic productions and um she spends a significant amount of time talking about a lot of the problems with the quote-unquote emotionless robot because oftentimes they are coded in a way that is very similar to a lot of neurodivergent people or people on the autism spectrum and sort of implying that a lack of emotions makes you robotic actually can be really problematic. But through that lens, one of the things I really appreciate about Crichton is he's actually really never depicted as being devoid of emotions, but he is depicted as being not very good at handling them when he feels them and sort of which ones have more emphasis is maybe not what would be normal for at least the other human characters he's encountering. Because like you can just see with how fidgety he gets that he's obviously feeling things, but he's really bad at managing that. And and I, I do appreciate that as a, as a little bit different from sort of the data from Star Trek thing, which is just a total lack of, of them and like barely able to understand them. And like Crichton isn't always good at understanding his own, but he's still definitely feeling stuff. Yeah. Well, back in the polymorph episode, it was what the polymorph took from him was his guilt. (laughs) That's right. And, uh, and so he, you know, it, it kind of just makes you think that is he walking around perpetually feeling guilty 90% of the time? Is that, is that like what his waking day is like? every time he does something slightly wrong or doesn't fulfill his programmed purpose perfectly, he feels well, really he guilty feels about it. he feels responsible for everything. So anytime anything goes wrong, he accepts the guilt for that, whether he was involved or not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd have to say Crichton also, yeah, it's got to be for this episode. And that does mean picking him two episodes in a row because he, but he, they've both been very heavily Crichton-focused episodes. So mm. yeah, for many of the same reasons, uh, Crichton would be my favorite as well what about funniest moment what do you think was your funniest i mean for for me it it was it was the reveal of the cat with himself um i I just (laughs) i just love that interaction i also love that they don't drag it out he goes in we get like three lines back and forth and then they're out of the scene like that scene could have very easily been dragged out to death but they were in the punchline was made and we get Mm. out of it i'm like that was that was perfectly comedically timed and executed and balanced and i just i i love it no that uh, that was a contender of mine but i think just based on like pure 
guttural reaction that I had. I've got to give it to that one line about, oh, like the light really favors the angles in your head. And I know that sounds really daft, but it just tickled me. To, and even afterwards, after I finished the episode, I kept thinking of that when, line. When you're allowed like to myself. When you're allowed to go out to the pub again, try using that line. I I bet I bet you pull something. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'll take you up on that. I'll let you know. Like, don't take advice from me. I'm someone someone who's been in a, in a relationship for five years. I like, do not take dating advice for me. Well, um, I'll, I'll pass it on to one of my, one of my single friends who, who's looking for a date when, when lockdown ends, thank, hopefully soon, I'll be like, yeah, just say this, mate, this will work. Like this, I'll be like, really? I'll be like, yeah, yeah, give it a try. So, yeah, but that's I, mine anyway. That's I my think mine, What about you, Phil? Mine would be that whole scene just after... No, I'm getting the names marked up now, not Lister. Rimmer uh, has first seen Camille, and there it's Crichton and Rimmer in the cockpit. And it's it's just that moment where neither they're both talking about the same person, but like cross wires because they both think they're talking about a different person, basically. Um, Mm. And and the particular line I particularly liked was when he's Rimmer is comparing, as we mentioned earlier, Camille to his sister in law and saying how attractive she is. And (laughs) Crichton goes something on the lines of what happened? Was she in an accident? (laughs) Because of the angled head and everything. Yeah. And he thinks he's talking of his sister-in-law as a human. Why would she have that head? That line just, that line <laughs> cracked me up. I like that one. That was good. Uh, what about marks? We usually give him marks out of 10. Mark, are we, uh, how many scutters out of 10 would you give this episode um, i guess i'll go first i probably give it eight like realize i'm stingy like the the whatever the scale is the number of things that i will give full marks to it's very very few but like i consider this a really good solid uh eight it's it it knows what it's doing it knows what it wants to be it's a really good Crichton, a really good showcase for Crichton. um who like in hindsight is a character who does well when he's the focus i just don't like him as a support as much i think might be the thing but it's it's just it's just really well done yeah we, we yeah. i think the highest thing we've given anything so far is 9.5 we haven't given anything 10 Ooh. yet so mm. we're we're not uh we're a little bit stingy ourselves one day we uh, may yeah. get a 10 what about you adam <laughs> um uh i think i gave this to the last episode and i'll have to get i'm gonna give this a nine i did really really enjoy this one it's one that i think what i've been saying throughout throughout this podcast is the ones I rate the highest are the ones where I'm thinking, like, further down the line, wh- out of all the Red Dwarf episodes that we're going to watch in this in this show, which are the ones that stand out to me immediately? And this is definitely one of those. The whole beats of the story, some of the jokes, it's just the same with, like I had with Polymorph, like with The Last Day, it's just going to stand out. So, yeah, for that reason and everything good that we've talked about in it, it's getting a nine from me. Yeah, I I feel a little bit stingy as well here because I've put eight down on my notes, <laughs> and I, but I just, I can't think of anything that I'm marking it down for particularly. But <laughs> I just it just kind of like I I think there's like I need to leave space for the really really amazing ones that I know are coming. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with eight. It's a, it was a solid episode. I really enjoyed it. There was some funny laugh out loud moments and. Yeah, some good stuff from Crichton. So, eight from me. There we go. There we go. Very good. (laughs) Well, there we go. That's another episode down on this journey through Red Dwarf. 
Uh, we'll be back again next week. Thank you for joining us, Nathaniel. Happy to do it. And uh, do promote where where people can find you on the internet and what kind of things you get up oh, to. Oh God. Okay. I'll try and I'll try and keep this quick because there's a lot. <laughs> um, so Council of Geeks is where you will find the majority of the stuff that I spend the most time doing on YouTube. That's where you'll find my more um, detailed and more. Um, planned in my higher end uh, video work. There's also the subsidiary channel Break Room of Geeks, which is less structured and usually just me about whatever the heck I've watched lately that I just have some things to say about. Uh, I'm on Patreon, which is what actually pays the bills. This is my living. Weird. I know. I don't understand either. Um, but it also kind of serves as a central hub because everything uh, else I do pretty much gets posted there. It got mentioned already. There's the What the Frell podcast, which is on the Council of Geeks podcast feed, which I do with Jesse Gender, watching Farscape. Um, going through every episode of that, we are in uh, season three of that right now. Um, you can also find Council of Geeks on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and since I mentioned being gender fluid, if you have more interest in that end of my life, you can look up Vera Wild, Wild spelled W-Y-L-D-E, all pretentious-like. Um, and you can find that on YouTube and Twitter and TikTok, which if I don't mention that, Jesse will throw something at me, I'm sure. Um, and the last <laughs> thing, because I, like I said, I've got way too much. I have a book that is now available for purchase on Amazon. I wrote a fantasy novel called Dreams of Fire, uh, available as uh, as an ebook, as a paperback, and also as a hardcover. So you've got options as far as that goes. Lots of stuff there, awesome. uh, including being down with the kids on TikTok. I am not that. Yeah. I'm not that cool. I'm I, not on TikTok. Like, I'm doing frighteningly well on, well on TikTok, and I do not understand why. <laughs> Just I've, roll with it. Keep rolling with it. So. I've only dabbled in, like, I've opened the TikTok app twice. That's how old I am. I'm pretty sure I'm older than you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I don't think you're much older than me. Maybe a few years. We'll compare okay. ages later. It doesn't need to be on the record. <laughs> Adam, where can people find yes. you? Where are the usual places people can find you? Usual places. Well, on YouTube, just Adam Martin, Martin with a Y. If you type in I, you'll get someone completely different. Um, but yeah, type in Martin with a Y, I should pop up there. Um, yeah, I talk about uh, Doctor Who, uh, other pop culture stuff, just things I'm interested in, really. I just talk about whatever I'm interested in. Um, and on Twitter, Adam Martin AMTV, if you want to keep up with my daily rabblings, what, which change on a daily basis. One minute I could be like, oh, look at this new thing. And then I could just be sharing an outdated meme or something like that. So, yeah, Twitter and YouTube is the one for me. But, Phil, what about you? Where can the people find you? Uh, well, I... Before you said that, I was just going to quick, I was going to add an extra plug for you to say, Ooh. check out oh. AMTV Radio, because of course, if you want to hear more of Adin and Nathaniel talking to each other, there is an indeed, episode yes. there of AMTV Radio on Adam's channel. Where, there is. Uh, when Nathaniel was the guest on that, so go check out that as well. Yeah, uh, you can find me, usual place, you might be watching this on YouTube, I say watching. Again, squiggly line going across the screen while we speak um, on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, Philip Hawkins. But if you're not, that's where it's just my name. Um, and on Twitter, I am still, despite constantly threatening to change it because nobody knows how to spell it. So I'm going to spell it out for you. I-U-D-E-X underscore Phil on Twitter, which is not Ludex because it's an I. It's not I-U-D-E-X. It's pronounced Udex. It's a silent I. It's stupidly pretentious, and I keep meaning to change it, but haven't never get around to it. So that's where you can find me. 
But there we go. We'll be back next week. Um, thank you for listening and goodbye. See you. See you later.